Brian Miller here, your host of Go and Make. We are so excited for this week's conversation with Father Tom Vortreed. We're talking about how he was able to invite 24 people to join RCIA in his last parish. Pretty incredible story, and it gives us all encouragement for just how simple it is to evangelize, to invite people to be Catholic. We have loved hearing from you. So again, send those emails to evangelization at archstl.org. If you have anything you want us to talk about or topics you want us to cover or questions you have about how we go forth and evangelize every day, send us that email. And then finally, we also want you to like and subscribe to the podcast. So go on your podcast app and give us a rating, one star, five stars, whatever it might be. But also subscribe so that every time a new episode of Go and Make Drops, it comes right into your feed. And of course, share it with all your friends, people at the parish who are looking to learn to evangelize. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Welcome back to Go and Make. We are joined this week by Father Tom Vortreed, who is the pastor at St. Elizabeth and Seton Parish in St. Charles. And you've been there for all of about a month, right? Yeah, just like six weeks or something. Yeah, it's so it's just fire hose coming <laughs> yes. at you, learning new things. Well, welcome to the show. This is really exciting. Thanks. I appreciate you and, having me uh, on. So you are a priest of the Archdiocese. You've been ordained for how long? Just over nine years now. Nine years. Wow. I'm sure you've learned a lot in that time. We'll get to some of that as we have our conversation here. But as we get started, one of the things we've done on the show kind of week in, week out, and you know, I say that this is our like fifth episode of the show. So it's now it's tradition because we've done it a few times. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I want to hear your story. I want to hear why, not only why you're a priest, not just your vocation story, which I think it's easy for, for pastors and priests to sometimes slip into their vocation story of how you became a priest. But but really, how did you fall in love with Jesus so you would want to be a priest too? Like where, where did you meet the Lord for the first time in your life. Absolutely. I, you know, I can't point to one moment, but it was a gradual thing. I, I think um, when, first of all, when I was 16 months old, my mom passed away. And so um, I don't have any memories of her, but I remember what it was like growing up and having my dad kind of uh, take me to the cemetery and um, take me to church every Sunday. And we would talk about mom, we would pray for mom. And, um, and I remember, I don't even know, if, I don't think it was my dad. I think it was my grandma. I often went to her house too. Um, and she, as I was growing up and she was helping to raise me and she would say things like, um, you can't see your mom, but she can see you. And, uh, Jesus has her and, and all of these things. So I, I think from a very young age, um, I got very acquainted with Jesus, um, just as I was learning about this mom that I couldn't see. And, um, so I, you know, I guess growing up in that environment, I kind of had, I guess, a little bit more trust that Jesus, you know, was taking care of her. He was still taking care of me. There were still loving people in my life. You know, I wouldn't have been able to analyze it like that back then, but I don't know. I just, I had a very sense, big sense of the spiritual, I guess. If I'm supposed to pray for my mom, she's praying for me. And then, um, you know, kind of things like that. I love uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. He you know, is writing this book kind of after he's had his big conversion. And he's recounting all these stories of his life. And, he, you know, St. Augustine has the big moment, right, where he's right. taken read and finally the thing happens and it comes through. But he had been on that path for a long time. But as, as he's writing the book, he's writing it kind of in retrospect to say, 
where the Lord had been in every moment leading up to that big moment. And it kind of sounds like that's your story a little bit too. Like you just like, as you look back and reflect in prayer and your life, you kind of see the hand of the Lord guiding you step by step oh, along the way. 100%. I mean, we always joke like diocesan spirituality isn't really like a thing compared to like, you know, Ignatian spirituality or Franciscan spirituality. But if I had to say my spirituality, um, it was, it's basically being able to look back and find God in all of these moments. We can't always see him in the moment, but I can always look back and see how the hand of God's been working. And I think I developed that from a young age of just trying to figure out the meaning of my life through tragedy. And that's led you to a mission as a priest. Pope Francis in The Joy of the Gospel talks about the joy of evangelizing always arises from a grateful remembrance. Mm -hmm. So we, we like look back and see what the Lord has done and where he was. We can't help but want to go spread that mission. So how did you first hear that call to, to a vocation? So yeah, um, it was essentially my junior year of high school was when it really started uh, coming. Uh, in high school, I really struggled. So again, here comes the theme of struggle and uh, difficulty. Um, it was actually my sophomore year that my teacher, uh, a theology teacher, mentioned just offhand he loved to go into the chapel uh, in our high school at what the end of the day. I have to ask. This is St. Louis after it, all. It is St. Louis U High. Okay. I, I went there. Right. Um, and he, uh, Mr. Wayner, he was my uh, theology teacher. He's a big, manly man, athletic director, great guy. Uh, but he, he told us, he's like, my favorite part of the day is when I get to go into the chapel uh, after school and reflect on my day before I go home. And it was such probably a, a thing he just mentioned in passing, and it changed my life because I started doing that. I didn't do that to be holy, though. I did that to complain because I was struggling <laughs> a lot. And, uh, you know, grades, you know, not fitting in, all of those things. And so I would just go into the chapel and kind of like basically take a deep breath before I like went home to face homework or something like that and, and the onslaught of that. And so I was just very stressed, but I had been doing that for about a year. And then in my junior year, that idea of priesthood started coming into my head because, you know, you're thinking about colleges, you're thinking about what am I doing after I graduate? And I did not like the idea of priesthood <laughs> at all. I, I was just trying to shove it down, not pay attention to it. But in the silence and a consistent routine of being with the Lord, he was starting to kind of attract me to the priesthood, even though it wasn't very attractive not in some ways. Idea, right. right. Yeah. yeah. There was something about it that was attractive, but not at all. And it was just this mystery and this interior fight. And so uh, I remember finally in, in March of my junior year, I, I threw up my hands because it was like a dripping faucet. I couldn't turn off like it, the idea of priesthood could not leave my mind. I said, fine, I'm done. I'll, I'll be open to it, Lord. Fine. The very next weekend, we had a visiting priest at my home parish uh, who at the time was the director of the college seminary, Monsignor Cronin. And uh, I was a I was a, in high school. I was a lector. And so I read the readings and after mass, he pulled me aside and said, you know, you read the word of God wonderfully. Have you ever thought about being a priest? Oh yeah, there's the like, question, oh, okay. right? And, and even back then, I think I knew the Lord is doing something in this. And I was kind of like not pleased with that, but like I knew he was doing something. So I visited the seminary a few weeks later because they just so happened to be a come and see weekend, you know, where high schoolers get to go and live in the shoes of a seminarian for a weekend. And I loved it. And I started having peace knowing that, okay, this is a real option. And 
it just kind of took off from there. I, I entered after my senior year and I pretty much never looked back. I working on virtue and working on being holy and being all oh, that was hard. All, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's still going on. But the discernment wasn't that difficult anymore. It was yeah. just okay, I just kind of know. Freedom, peace, you know, understanding of what the Lord's doing. I remember I, I seriously discerned as well and I went on a come and see retreat. Uh, a couple of them. And the last one I went on, I was like dead set. Like I wanted to be a priest. This was my idea. Nice. And I went in and uh, I told the Lord, okay, Lord, like I'm all in. And like so clearly in prayer, I heard that's all I wanted. I wanted your yes. I wanted your availability, but you're not called to be a priest. And I was, I was kind of confused at the <laughs> yeah, moment, sure, but it's amazing sure. how like just the Lord wants our, our freedom to respond to what he's doing in our lives. Absolutely. And I love you shared in your story too, that Monsignor Cronin asked you that question. And it kind of ties into where we're going in our conversation today, because, uh, you know, reading in the St. Louis Review, uh, I think back around Easter time, they had a story about your old parish where you were pastor, first time pastor, right, at mm -hmm. Holy Rosary in Warrington. And you guys had 24 people go through RCIA and enter the Catholic Church. Is that right? Yes. So he asked you that question, you know, you, have you thought about being a priest? So the role of questions and then planting the seed in people is a big part of evangelization. So... How did you get 24 people in RCIA? Did it relate to the, the questions at all, maybe? I think that had something to do. I mean, certainly, you know, the Holy Spirit was at work. Um, but a lot of it, it's not a program as much as it's just getting to know your people. Um, I had conversations with people about school matters. And then after we talked about the school stuff, we talked about faith. And so that's where some of the people came from. Um, I preached on marriage um, and how Catholics need to get married in the church. And if you haven't, I can do I can help you with that and we can regularize your marriage. And that's where we got some people. It was through that avenue, um, basically not shying away from the hard conversations or the difficult stuff to preach on. Um, what I'm realizing, too, is a lot of Catholics these days don't even know that if you're not married in the church and you're a Catholic, there's a problem. And so I don't think they've heard it for years. And so just like going there and just trying to like teach what we've always believed that the culture doesn't support like it used to, um, it gave an opportunity for people to go deeper. And it was exciting to sit down with them and ask them what their thoughts are. And they wanted to ask me, how do you even go forward? It was just beautiful. Yeah, I love you talk about preaching the hard stuff. And that doesn't necessarily mean like fire and brimstone right. from the homily or condemning people. No. And and Holy Rosary in Warrington is how many families? It's uh, about 860. Okay, yeah. So not a huge parish. So a parish actually, too, where you can really be there and be known and be among the people and be in relationship with them. So when you say the, the hard truth from the pulpit or talk to them about it, you can actually have that follow-up conversation with them afterwards as well. Absolutely, because that's really all we should be wanting is those conversations. We shouldn't want to hide from controversy. We shouldn't want to hide from a difficult conversation. Even if people say things that I'm not going to, quote, want to hear in those conversations, it's okay. I'm a big boy. I can hang in there with them, you know, but just inviting them to do that. And I had people that were challenging me on things and were disagreeing with the church on certain things that ended up growing in faith just because I don't know if anyone ever really heard them, you know, from a church perspective to like absorb some of that. Yeah. Before. I mean, there's gotta be, if we're talking about evangelization, 
there has to be a tension that we live in where we want to do the accompaniment thing. We want to walk with people. We want to understand their life. We want to understand their situation. We want to enter into the mess sometimes. But if we're just there in the mess with them and we don't ever lead them to truth or invite them to truth, and we're not forcing conversion, we're just presenting the truth right. and we're giving that loving challenge. If, if we're not uncomfortable in doing that, then we're probably not being very effective evangelists. Absolutely. And it's so much more than just one person that can do any of that. It's about having a team of people around you. I uh, only was at Holy Rosary just under three years. So I had the blessing of, for instance, uh, the school, um, um, just Father John Mayo really helped uh, uh, invigorate new life into the school, and they were helping to make converts. I mean, I probably, in my time there, under three years, baptized about 10 to 12 students in that school. In the day school. In the day school, yep. yeah. And because the kids were learning beautiful things in class, the teachers and the principal were alive in Christ, and there was a a way in for these families into the life of the church. And then some of those kids got their parents to come on board, which is part of this RCIA story too. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love, I mean, this idea that evangelization isn't just something we go and do, right? I mean, we can go knock on doors and we can invite people mm -hmm. to church and that's a part of evangelization and we can have hard conversations as part of it. But really one of my strongest convictions is that evangelization is who we are. And when we embrace that identity as parishes, as communities, it's so much easier to evangelize. Uh, we're not just going out and, and trying to make sure we have all the right programs and all the right things and we're, and we're checking the boxes. We also lift each other up in that. So it wasn't just you going out there and doing that. If it was, it might've fallen on deaf ears, but it was people in the school. It was people in the parish who are also out there walking with it, who have really, I, I think just this core conviction about them, that it is good for people to be Catholic. We don't serve you just because you're Catholic. And if you're not Catholic, we're not going to turn you away. But we want the best for you. Absolutely. And the best for someone is to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to experience him fully in the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And there's so many ways in which we can do that, like to just be proud of our culture we're creating, whether it's as the church or as, as a parish. You know, little things like, you know, we taught the middle schoolers how to chant the Salve Regina, which is the Hail Holy Queen in Latin. And then we started just doing it at all the Sunday masses at the end. Um, and people were learning it. And I think it's kind of, people were kind of like, this is kind of cool that we like know this nugget of our past and we're embracing it. Um, just things like that that kind of make you proud to be part of something greater than yourself. Well, and I think sometimes when we think about the culture piece or the parish renewal piece and what we're trying to build, people want to build it perfectly. Like we, and I talk about like building mm. a path of discipleship. We can talk about how we go out and do pre-evangelization to help people then encounter Jesus and grow in their relationship and witness him to others, right? Encounter, grow, witness. That's a path of discipleship. And we want to have all that built before we get started or do anything. But I think the culture piece is that people do learn um, by being involved in it, engaged in it, and they learn from one another. Um, my wife teaches at, at Vianney High School, and they have a lot of non-Catholic students who are getting theology for the first time, you know? And when they go to all school mass, they're probably a little confused the first time, but they start to pick up on what the other guys do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of kids there who are really into their faith and they want to walk with them too. So I don't think we can discount just diving in sometimes to wherever we are and using whatever the opportunities we have 
are to take people to that next level and not worry about like we want to build the foundation as best we can. But we can't always wait for the foundation to be built. Yeah, I agree with that. And and being afraid to like just try something and trying to listen to what Jesus is asking of us in prayer to quote implement or do. That that was a piece I really got better at in the last just couple of years because you know first time pastor I was like what do I do what do I do? and trying to and and I I had to kind of be counseled by lots of good people to slow down and okay, just because something's good doesn't mean that's what Jesus is asking of us. And so he's asking maybe for specific things from this community, these people, me in this moment, and trying to just kind of be more attentive to that, I think is huge. So, and that's really where we are right now as the archdiocese. We've been through this yeah. big, all things new process and you know, we always want to say that discernment isn't about choosing between a good and an evil, right? That's morality. Like we understand what <laughs> right. that is. Discernment is about taking goods and figuring out which one the Lord is calling us to. And I think that as we talk about our ministries and our parishes, like so many times we say, oh, that's good. Let's just run off and do it. And then we do it, you know, halfway. And, and right. I, we're all guilty of this. Like I am super guilty of this sometimes too. Or we do this about face later and then there's just this instability and we can't really get behind anything. Yeah. And so again, there's the tension between having the perfect strategic plan to make it all happen, but then waiting for perfection to start anything. And so we have to be willing to, to be messy in that too, but we can't, um, we can't do it unless the Lord is really blessing it and spending that time in prayer, in discernment. And then discernment, too, for a community is not an individual thing only. Like, yeah. we need to go, we need to pray, we need to be with the Lord. We should be doing, if you want to be an evangelizer, if you want to be a missionary disciple, you should be praying every day. You should probably have, you know, um, I'll go on the low end and say like 20 minutes of quiet, personal, mental prayer a day. Probably should be 30 or more though, right? 20, I'll give it to you. You can do sure. it. But if you're not doing that on your own, then you're not going to hear the voice of the Lord leading you uh, and the community and how you're supposed to lead the community. But then also the community needs to come together and discern as well what the voice of the Holy Spirit is saying for you as a group. And sometimes that can be really, there can be tension and conflict in that too. Which is at least what the goal is, you know, right now um, I'm at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. Robert Bellarmine is being subsumed into it. And so we have uh, a transition team. It's a de facto parish council. It's got those um, all things new key parish leaders from both places and the deacons from both places and some, some staff members. And like just last night we met and we're trying to um, forge ahead as the new enhanced parish of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and how we can reach people and how we can come together. And one of the first ways we did that was expanding adoration hours and, you know, getting the St. Robert Bellarmine people over here to uh, have adoration at the St. Elizabeth campus and trying to just but that has to be through prayer and then that discernment. I need those good people on the transition team to kind of push back or suggest or also be praying and communicate what Jesus is speaking to them. And it's been beautiful so far. Uh, I don't exactly know where he's taking us yet, but yeah, he being, yeah. The Holy Spirit. Right. Indeed. Right? It's not, you know, I, again, like we want to do the best we can, but ultimately it's the Lord that makes things new, not us. We right. just need to be docile to, to him in that. And I think too, as we think about like unity and healing, obviously things we need, all of us need in our individual lives. We need as the archdiocese too. I think that sometimes we want to like talk it out forever 
and, and there's a moment to do that and to talk about the areas where we're falling short and, and where conflict is. But I think maybe the best way to come together oftentimes is to be pointed in the same direction and to be doing the same thing. So like you said, going to mass together, going to Eucharistic adoration together, and then having a common mission as a parish to go and make disciples and, and really have that singular focus of what are the things we're doing? How are, what are the things that we're doing? How can we do them differently or better? And where is the Lord calling us? And when we're running in the same direction, all of a sudden we realize that we have more in common than we realize and those divisions start to, to fall off. And then the Lord can start to work and heal us because we're just more comfortable and vulnerable with the people around us and with him. Oh, absolutely. And, and to have that common mission, common purpose can start from something you know, yeah, it could start from things we've used to do before, but it can start from something new that everybody just buys into, you know, if it's related to a relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacramental life of the church and pursuing um, holiness. And so, I mean, when you're saying that, I kept thinking of like, from a seminary perspective, when I was in set, we used to have what we called these people that we called perpetual discerners. <laughs> they right. didn't have a direction. They just were surveying this and, and surveying this and surveying this. And they just kind of were always confused. But I really believe the Lord will assist you if you just pick a direction that you think at the best of your ability, he's moving you in and he'll either boost you in that direction or he'll do an about face and turn your momentum in another direction. And I, I just think he needs us to have a direction though, where we at least start trying to pursue. That's one of the favorite prayers in our household is bless it or block it. Like, like right, we're, <laughs> I love we're that. going Lord, like this is, this seems like it's happening and like make it, make it abundantly clear. Cause I am thick skulled. Yeah. And it, it's been really fruitful because again, like, and we can still make mistakes. We can still do things. The Lord doesn't want us to do. But that sense of peace that comes with the blessing of like just knowing where, where you're called and where the Lord is, uh, it, it changes things. And it's again, it, it takes it out of being my own idea. We can, it's, we can have ideas and it's good to have ideas. And the Lord wants to use our ideas, but he wants to, to continue to inspire us in those quiet moments and really send us out on mission in new ways. Absolutely. And, and what I've maybe experienced a lot through the last few months of becoming a pastor of two parishes coming together is that just the, the knowledge I'm not going to know every step along the way, but I think it's a lie to just say like, Oh my gosh, I'm so confused. I know nothing. I think the Lord always is good enough to reveal what the next right thing to do is. He's like, what is that? Frozen two, I think, you know, the next right thing. You've been watching a lot of frozen two. You know, no, it's a little corporate for me. I'm a tangled kind of guy, okay, but yeah, that's right. no, but, but yeah, I mean, just the next right thing, the Lord kind of, uh, so it's like when I first kind of got this picture, I'm like, oh no, well, I know what the first thing I need to do is address the, address the staffing situation because there's two, two parishes, staffs, and one parish coming together, prayed, worked through it, met with everyone, treated everyone like a human, and things kind of worked out. And then the next thing, okay, mass times, and then the next thing, and the next thing. And it, it's just like, I kind of have a clear path of what the next right thing is, and then just trying to trust and I think for me, that goes back to my mom dying all those years ago was like that. I trust that the Lord will take care of me. I can always look back now in certain moments. I don't, but I can at least always go back to that and go, he took care of me then and he's going to take care of me now. And 
I don't know. There's just not to say, not to pretend like, oh, I always have that confidence, but overall, there's a confidence there. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it trust is a huge part of it. I love the, the John the 23rd line, Pope John the 23rd said, <laughs> yeah. it's your church, Lord, I'm going to bed. Right. And uh, we can't do it all. My, my brother in law owns a music shop and they had a terrible flood a year ago. And his prayer, and this is really beautiful, he says, I don't know what the day will bring, but I know who brings the day. And that's kind of been like his prayer on repeat. And it's just that, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're going to throw at me right now, but I trust in your goodness and I trust that you have a plan. And then again, sometimes even in suffering, actually always in suffering, that, that he came to redeem suffering. And we can't, we're not going to grow unless there is sacrifice and suffering in our lives. And we can give that to the Lord and trust that he's going to use the hard things too. To, to bring people closer to him. I think that's really a way as a community where we can come together. But I don't think as communities, we're good at the suffering piece. Like I think individually we can redeem suffering and we can take our hardships and offer them to the Lord and that's good. But I think as a, as a communal discernment of, of suffering and offering it to the Lord, I don't, I don't know, and I, again, I don't have an answer, <laughs> but I don't know how we do that as parishes and as groups coming together. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know that well either, but I, I agree with you that I think there's an opportunity there. I mean, for especially parishes that are changing and in, in the way they're either structured or, you know, if they're being subsumed, why not lean into that suffering? I don't know if we should pretend that all things new in itself is like the greatest thing ever. It's it's a need sure based we on didn't have to do it. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a need based on where we are now and we need to mourn that. Um, but we can also mourn with the hope that combining not only financial resources, but the common energy of believers can build something incredible and beautiful. And I think uh, I'm, I believe that more every day, uh, looking at my people um, and seeing how they are coming together. Um, the 815 daily mass at St. Elizabeth has been huge lately. And so many of those people coming are St. Robert Bellarmine people, and they're enlivening the parish. And it's just beautiful to see. Um, together, we really are stronger. And the Lord's hand is in this, too. I love uh, the book From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. I don't know if you've seen it, but... In there, he kind of highlights throughout history that every moment where the church seemed down and out and, and every sociologist or historian would have written off the mm. church, that the Holy Spirit moves in new ways and new ministries spring up and really new saints spring up to guide the church back into flourishing. They talk about the generation of saints in, in France that Sherry Waddell talks about, St. Francis right. de Sales and all these people. And really what we need right now in St. Louis is we need a generation of saints to rise up and to take the hardship that we're in the midst of, to take the suffering that we have and to point it to Christ on the cross and say, this has all been redeemed. And then to point to the empty tomb and say, this has all been resurrected and to go forth in that hope that people need Jesus to have that fulfillment in their lives. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you don't even realize because we're human. We don't realize we need Jesus until things get tough. You know, sometimes if things are so comfortable, we don't think about him or go to him. And I think when we have a moment of adversity, we have a huge opportunity to understand how much he loves us and how much he can bring us closer to himself. That's why I think Archbishop Brzezanski, Father Chris Martin have been doing such a wonderful job in the all things new, um, not only in seeing that this happens, but in carrying it out because they have their eye on Jesus the entire time. And at least 
I'm one priest. I can only speak for myself, but I feel that love of their shepherding because they are feeling loved by the shepherd. And we don't have to be afraid of difficult things. We can do this together. All right. So as we kind of wrap up our time here together today, we always want to try to leave people with some kind of practical ideas about the one mission of the church, right? The name of the show is Go and Make. So how, uh, in your experience, and again, you know, maybe even talking to some brother priests and pastors out there, but also parish leaders, everyday Joe Catholic, who's trying to evangelize, how do we, how do we do that in a practical way moving forward? Good question. And, you know, and, and I'm just going to start talking because, you know, there's no secret way necessarily, but if there was a formula, we'd be following it already. Exactly. Yeah, right. But I, so there's evangelization of going out, but there's also the formation piece of here. And I think realizing it's not just about me as an individual that has to shoulder this weight, that if I can do my part of listening to Jesus and helping to build up the people around me into a cultural community that really buys into this, uh, we might be on to something. Um, that, that formation piece of, at least as a priest, I could say, of not being afraid to preach something that's hard, not being afraid to have standards for who can be a confirmation sponsor or a baptismal godparent, that they have to be living the faith and holding them to that before we even schedule a baptism, for instance. Um, and even if somebody's upset, we sit down and talk about it. it basically, just living out those standards at least in my experience, has kind of given me a confidence in the integrity of the priesthood I'm trying to have so that I can not expect the impossible, but expect that we're actually doing this and it's not pretend and wink, wink, you know, we're just kind of getting by and signing a form or doing this, that we basically are just living our authentic Yeah, be faith. who the Lord is calling us to be and, yeah, and, and I, respond to that. And I really think that that radiates from people that live that way. And, and really what I hear you saying is don't be afraid to make the invitation or the challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that's what Jesus did. Yeah, but we're not doing it from a distance. We're doing it from closeness, from right. spiritual closeness. Mm -hmm. And when we have that, when we are of one heart and mind, when we're in the trenches with people, they respect that. And, you know, sports teams don't get better when everyone says, hey, we're trying really hard, guys. Keep it up. No, it gets better when they say, hey, you're not pulling your weight. You're not doing your part or you can be better. And, and people work together and they wake up early and they work out harder and they challenge each other and they work and, and they walk together. That's what we want to do as a church too. That's spiritual mentors, spiritual closeness with people as we, as we call them to spiritual greatness. Well, and St. Paul uses that same analogy of running the race and that he has finished the race. He built up a pretty good church uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, of course. And we should be doing that too, whether a priest or lay faithful. I don't think we have to worry about, you know, being perfect ourselves in order to hold the world and others to high standards, as long as we have the humility to know that we just need Jesus too. And we're striving for that as well. Yeah. I think that's my, my one reminder I always have for myself as an evangelist is like me first, right? Like right. I need to come before the Lord and to continue to grow in my relationship and hear the ways where the Lord is calling me deeper. And if I'm not doing that myself, then I might not be as attuned to how it happens in other people's lives as well, because it's unfamiliar to me. Or if I don't see growth in my own life, I may not see the capacity for growth in other people. But I know that the Lord is always challenging me and he is always pushing me and he does always want more of my heart. Yeah. And when I experience that, then I know that that's what he wants for everyone else, too. Well, and that's what I think beyond like the, the large numbers from RCIA last year at Holy Rosary, 
it was the individual stories that were the most captivating. I mean, people who have been to hell and back with their suffering and found Jesus in the midst of it and just trying to do your small part and helping to bring that out of them and get them to confidently be able to share that story. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you sit back, you're just amazed at what the Lord is doing. Yeah, I love that's a great spot for us to like wrap up our conversations. I love that you said that it's not just the numbers and we want to focus on the numbers. And, and we've talked about a lot of numbers the last couple of years, sure. you know, and, and they're important because they're a lagging indicator of our, our fruitfulness on the front end of, of what we're doing. So if we're not there on the front end, asking the questions and being with people in life and doing the hard things, the leading numbers aren't going to come, the lagging indicator. So we've got to do the hard work up front. And it's not just about numbers, but it really is about stories and individuals. So thank you so much for the Appreciate time, it, Father. It's been a, a great conversation. And um, would you just close us in a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, continue to enliven our hearts. Help us to operate out of that confidence of knowing that we're loved by you so that we don't shy away from any important conversations that you're leading us to have, any teachings that we're supposed to hold to, and that you allow us to really uh, radiate forth that great love, knowing fully that you, no matter if we can see you working or not, have got us. Help us to trust, to look back if we need to, to see a time where you have found us and taken care of us before so that we can look ahead knowing that you still uh, are in control. We ask you to bless this archdiocese with all things new. Bless all these parishes, all these priests. Keep everyone close to you so that no matter the ups and downs, the challenges we may face, that we may understand that we are one family in Christ and that we can tackle anything by the help of your grace. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, go and make disciples. 